Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 5. Psalm 5, as we finish our, our brief look into the Psalms, as we like to finish a New Testament book, and then we like to do a little bit in the Old Testament, and then we go back to the New Testament again. Psalm 5, a Psalm of David. David writes, Give ear to my words, O Lord, Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. But as for me, your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgression, thrust them out. For they are rebellious against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may, your sh- may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Join with me as I pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words that David wrote thousands of years ago that are still applicable and true today because they were authored by the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, as we look at your word again, speak to us through your word. May your Holy Spirit teach us. May he again open our eyes to these truths and may we be more informed of your ways. May we be more in have a better understanding of who you are and may we worship you in spirit and in truth in a greater way i pray in your name amen if you have ever been lied about if you've ever been a victim of malicious gossip, if you've ever suffered from false accusations, there's a reason they call it character assassination because it, it's, it, it, it kills your reputation. This is the psalm for you. This is the psalm where David is facing those who are lying about him. They are deceitful about him. They are coming after him. 
They are liars. They are after him, his reputation. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. They speak falsehood, verse 6. David is having his character attacked. He is, his enemies are saying bad things about him and slandering him. And in the New Testament, we know that we are called to pray for our enemies. We are called, as it were, to, to wish them well, to pray for their salvation. But here, there's a biblical warrant to defend yourself. There's a way here, as those who come after you, there's a way to pray that God has ordained that we can pray. That as we are slandered, as, as people come after our reputation, David lays down a prayer for us that we can pray. And in many ways, he lays down a, a, a template for us to pray for those who are coming after us. Now, we really don't know much about the background of this psalm. Some, some people tie it back to Psalm 3, where David is running from Absalom, and that this, there's a morning psalm in, in Psalm 3, an evening psalm in Psalm 4, and a morning psalm again in Psalm 5. But there's no indication here that this is strictly tied to that. But what we do know that David is under circumstances where he feels under attack and he turns to God in prayer. And so David turns to God and he turns to him to pray and he turns to him for his protection and he turns for, to him to deliver him from these false accusations. And so this morning as we come to this text, as we come to this psalm, we will see really four aspects of godly prayer that will help us in the time of trouble. When we are, when we are being uh, attacked, when we have false accusations, when we are being spoken bad of, when there are lies that are being told about us, when our reputation is being ruined, David gives us four go- uh, aspects of godly prayer that we can use. We first of all see in verses 1 to 3 a humble appeal or a humble prayer as as David appeals to Yahweh for his care. David recognizes that the only place that he can go is to God for help. This is the only one who can vindicate him. Secondly, we see an elevated view of God's character. In other words, David recognizes the character of God, Yahweh himself, and it is because of God's character that David knows that God will help him and that God will answer his prayer. And then we see a lordly correction. There's a sober petition for Yahweh's correction of himself and of his enemies. And then he ends this with a petition of praise. A a joyful invitation for Yahweh's cover, in other words, for his protection. And there's an invitation to to a joyfulness in Yahweh's cover. And so as you can see, to remember the outline, David says, help. A a humble prayer, an elevated view of God's 
character, lordly correction, and a petition to praise. And so David's cry for help is now a cry that he cries to God so that he might help him and protect him from these accusations. So David begins this section here with a humble prayer. He, he now prays for Yahweh's care as he humbles himself before God. Now you'll notice as he starts this, he says, Give ears to my word, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry. In the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. He's saying, Heed my cry, consider my groanings, give ear to my words. There's an urgency here to David's prayer. David is coming and he, and he is coming and he wants, there's an urgency that he needs God's help. And David recognizes that he needs to come. And he says, give, give, ears to my word, give ear to my words. And the idea there is not just that God hears them, but that he hears and responds to him. He says, I want, I want you to hear my words and I want you to respond. And he says, I want you to respond Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the, the God who is the protector of Israel. The God who Proverbs 18 says the name of the Lord or the name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. This is the God that he's appealing to. Because you love me, therefore, I will deliver him and I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. This is God speaking to his own. Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus saith the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. And David now, now says, I call to you, Yahweh, the covenant God, the one who is, who is the protector of the righteous. This is where I turn, and I want you to hear my, my cry, my request. And David says, consider my groanings consider my groanings and it's like david gave david says i'm 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 wanting to pray to you but there are parts of me that i don't even know what to say right now i'm in pain i'm under attack and 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 i'm i'm confused and i'm really i don't even know what to say how to pray to you but in my heart i'm crying to you and and i'm already i haven't really articulated all of my thoughts or how i can do this but hear my groanings hear hear me inside you can almost hear the words it's almost as if the apostle david had read the apostle paul in romans 8:26 in the same way the spirit also helps with our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And it's as if David had read that and he says, I, I, am, I am groaning, I am, I am coming toward, I'm, I don't really know, I'm just forming my intentions, I'm informing how I should pray to you, but all I know is that I'm in a desperate way and I'm coming towards you. My thoughts maybe are not verbalized, but they are coming. And then as he moves to verse 2, he says, Heed the sound of my cry for help. And now it's, as if, it's almost as if that those unspoken uh, words and feelings in his heart are, are now pushing out of his heart and pushing to articulate. And, and, and now it, it, 
It results in him crying out for help. Now his words are flowing, and now he cries out, Lord, help me. Help me. I am being slandered. People are coming against me. I need help. And David says, I need help. Now notice this, my king and my God. And this is one of the interesting things. If you look at this psalm, I want you to look at the personal pronouns that take place here in the first three verses. Read it with me. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my God, King and my God. For to you I pray in the morning, O Lord. You will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you. See all those personal pronouns? David is praying who? To his king. His God. There's a relationship here. And David, David says, though I am king of Israel, though I am the one that God has anointed to rule over Israel, there is a greater king to whom I pray. There is a king of the universe, the only true king, the sovereign and the hope of all mankind. He is my king. He has the power to answer prayer. And he is my God. He's not some foreign deity. He's not some, someone that's far away. But he's a God that is what? My personal God. He is the one in whom I put my trust. So it says he's not praying to, great, to the great someone in the great somewhere. He's lifting his ear to the very living God, Yahweh, who is king in Israel and the source of all good things, including help and adversity. And David, as he does this, he expresses personal submission and confidence in God because he is submitted to this king and because this king is his king and because this God is his God, therefore, he recognizes that this God is for him. In many ways, this cry of my God is equivalent to the Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father, you are my God. You are the one whom I turn to. And so David turns to him in submission and recognition of who he is. And he says, because you are the God who can answer prayer, who is sovereign, who rules all things and makes all things happen. He says, for unto thee I will pray. This is where I will turn in my time of trouble. he recognizes that the solution to his problems is to pray to this God. And then he says, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. He says, in the morning, the idea, it seems like David maybe is waking up here in the morning and his first thoughts are this, that he will express his prayer to God. This is something that is taking place as in the morning and he says i will i will pray to you yahweh he says you will hear my voice and the idea here is not that god will hear his voice because david is is speaking but rather that god will listen to david when he prays there's a confidence in this prayer 
you will hear my voice. In other words, you, you are my God and my King, so when I pray to you, you will hear me. You will hear my voice. I will direct it to you. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you. In other words, I will, I will make my case towards you. I will, I will state what my prayer request to you because you are the one who, will, who hears my petitions. Now, there are some who would say that in this verb for I will order my prayer or order has the idea of used for sacrifice. And David may be saying this, when I go to the temple and I go to pray and, and, and when I give sacrifice to you, at that time I will pray to you. I will lay this sacrifice out and I will make my requests as I sacrifice to you. Whatever the translation, the idea is that he had planned to appeal to Yahweh formally in the morning. He was going there to pray. The first thing in the morning was a call to God. And notice his confidence. I will what? Wait in expectation. I will wait in expectation. I will make a vigil and I will wait expectantly for you to answer my prayer. Like a watchman in the Old Testament, I will wait knowing that you will answer my prayer. And again, David comes here humbly to pray for God's help, recognizing that God is what? His king and his God. David is not making demands, but he recognizes that God is his God. God is his king. And as he submits to him and to his kingship, he recognizes that his king is his protector. And so when trouble comes, when we recognize that there are those who are slandering us, those who are speaking ill of us, those who are character assassinating us, are we like David? Do we turn and submit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Do we turn to him and recognize our need for his help and recognizing that he is the only place to take care of that? You can mount all the defenses you want. You can mount everything that, that you can do humanly. Only God can fix it. Only God can take care of it. Only God can ultimately vindicate you. It may not be on this earth. It may not be before you die. But ultimately in God's court, you will be vindicated. We have the same God as David. We have the same God who is king who, of the universe, who controls all things, who is our God and who hears our prayer and he will answer our prayers and he will answer them not only according to his will but according to what is good for us. And so as we get in these situations, let us pray and eagerly watch for him to answer prayer. So David turns as he is in trouble with a humble prayer for God's protection. This is where we must turn 
when we are in trouble. Secondly, David has an elevated view of God's character. In other words, he has a recognition of who God is. And he, he is now making, he, he then lists what he knows about God. And, and, and in a sense, he is making a comparison between himself and those who don't know God. And, and he says, I realize that God is with me and God stands with me because God is against those who are against me because of their character. Everything that those my enemies stand for, Yahweh will not allow his people to undergo the schemes of wickedness or, uh, and, and without providing them safety or guarding them. And David knows that he is God's king. He knows that he is God's people. And he knows that God has, has, is on his side. And he knows that God will not put up with these schemes. The nature of God's character is David's hope. In other words, he says, this is my hope is because of who God is. And I know that unlike my enemies, that, that God hates everything about my enemies and everything they stand for. And so David says, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. David understood God to be infinitely holy and he could not approve or tolerate or fellowship with sin. Your eyes, Habakkuk 1.13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. God doesn't take pleasure. He doesn't delight in evil. And in fact, no evil dwells with you. It cannot be in your presence. It cannot, it cannot take up residence in your presence. Now, we understand that God is omnipresent, so he is everywhere. So you would say this, everywhere evil is, God is. But what he's saying here is that God cannot what? Approve of evil. We know that God will ultimately judge evil, but he, for in his patience and his forbearance, he waits until judgment time to actually mete out the price for that evil. We even know that God will be in hell punishing actively those who disobey him. So the idea is that God cannot go along with it. He cannot accept it. He cannot look on it favorably. And so he says, no evil dwells with you, for you are a God who takes pleasure. You are not a God who takes pleasure. Oh, I read that already. Um, In wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. Those who are boastful, those who are prideful, those who are arrogant in their sin will not stand before your eyes. They cannot, they cannot stand in your presence. They cannot continue to be there. The, the idea of before your eyes is, is the idea of presence. And he says, for you, God, who take no pleasure in wickedness, no evil dwells with you, the boast shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Now you'll notice as he starts to go through this verse, it's interesting because he says, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. He says, you don't take pleasure in the wicked. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. 
He ups the ante again. You hate all who do iniquity. And then in verse 6, you destroy all those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed. He's continuing to build here about God's displeasure with those who stand against his people and ultimately then against God. He says, you hate all who do iniquity. You, and, and again, the idea is those who are lawbreakers, those who sin. And the idea here is not that just that they sin, but this is they are known by being in, in iniquity. In other words, this is their lifestyle. This is what they continue to do. And David says, you destroy those who speak falsehood. Those who tell lies, they are liars and deceivers. You ultimately bring them to destruction. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. You disdain them. You can hardly look upon them. They are repugnant to, you, to the Lord. And the man who does bloodshed and deceit, often doing bloodshed out of deceit, those who purposely mislead, those who tell lies in order to gain. David says, God, you are against this. You find these sins abominable. This is your character. You hate those who are coming against me, those who are telling lies, those who are boastful, those who are continuing iniquity and falsehood and deceit. Those are my enemies. But David says, there's something that keeps me going. There's something that I recognize. And this is what I take comfort in, the character of God. He says, but as for me, in contrast to those who you hate, those you abhor, those you don't take pleasure in, those who can't stand before you, but as for me... By your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. And David says, here's, here's, here's where I take my comfort. I can't say, if you're David, and you, say, you can't say, well, I'm not guilty of any of those. Right? He's, he, he shed blood. He spoke falsehood. He was caught in iniquity. He was boastful. He, he again numbered Israel when he wasn't supposed to. But David says, the reason the contrast between me and my enemies is not because I'm so good. It's not because I'm such a good person and I'm, or because I'm king and they're, and they're just ordinary people. He says, the reason, the difference between me and the reason that I can take comfort in God's presence is because your abundant loving kindness. This is the word hesed. This is, this is God's covenant love, his faithful love that he puts on the objects of his love. It's, uncon it's an unconditional covenant love by which Sinners receive God's grace and love and repent and believe. It's often translated here as loving kindness. But the stress is on the faithfulness of that love, his covenant love for them. And David says, 
the reason I can stand before God, the reason that I have God's good favor is not because I'm good, not because I have done, achieved anything, but simply because God has put his grace upon me. And so David recognizes God's character, that it is God's grace upon him that now allows him to be in relationship with God. David believes in a God that has reached out to him. The contrast between David and his enemies exists solely by an act of God. It is God's character that allows David to to seek God's presence and favor. Psalm 143.2 says, And do not enter into judgment with your servant, for you... For in your sight, no man living is righteous. Yet because God had put his righteousness upon David, he now was able to go into his presence. And so David says, but as for me, your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. In other words, David says, I can come before you and worship and I can bring my request to you and I can enter into your house and at your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. In other words, in recognition of you, it produces worship in me and now I come before you and I pray and I bow in reverence and holy fear of a righteous God because I recognize your character. And so David, as he comes and he prays in his trouble, he recognizes that it is God's character that ultimately makes it so that he can come before him and worship and God will hear him. And so when we are in trouble, when we see people coming after us and slandering us and telling lies, we must recognize that we know that God is on our side and that God will answer our prayer because of what? His character. He's the one who has chosen us. He is the one who's put his righteousness upon us. He's the one who gives us access to us. He's the one who is our protector. And we know that he is on our side because he is against those who do those things to us. Just like those people who lied about David and, and what came after David, as they lived in their sin, God, David knows that God is on his side because God has placed his love, what? On him. And if you're a believer here today, God has put his love upon you. He has, by an act of his will, chosen you for his own, and now his favor is upon you, and he, is, he does not uphold the wicked. And so we can have confidence to come before God and pray because we recognize God's character that he hates sin, but he loves us. 
And it is because he has made us alive, because he has an act of his love that he has dealt with our sin, and therefore he answers our prayer. Well, thirdly, we see the elevation of, I mean, the sober petition for Yahweh's correction. Or we could call it lordly correction. David, after recognizing his need and humbly coming to God and recognizing that God, because of his character, was on his side and would answer his prayer, he now calls for correction. He says, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward parts is of destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O Lord. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. Now again, as we, as we read that, we might get a little uncomfortable. I thought we were supposed to pray for our enemies. I thought we were supposed to do good to those who did evil to us, and yet David here is crying out, that God would actually judge them, hold them guilty. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgression, thrust them out. He doesn't say them. See, he says, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. Well, you'll notice as David comes to pray this, and this is, is that David first starts what? With himself. He doesn't start with his enemies. He starts with himself. And he says, O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of what? My foes. And so David is, is calling and he's saying, Yahweh, lead me in your righteousness. In other words, help me to live in a way that's pleasing to you. Help me to be wise. Help me to live a life that is according to your righteousness. And I need your help and I need you to make my way straight your way straight before me. Help me to see how I am to live. Help me to live in wisdom because of what? Of my foes. In other words, there are people coming after me. They are trying to, they're speaking falsehood. There's bloodshed, there's iniquity. Help me to know how to deal with them. Help me to walk wisely before you. I recognize that it is because of your loving kindness upon me that I, am, that I am righteous. And Lord, make sure that my life is in order. Make sure that I am walking in a way that I should. And I need, I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need your empowering to make me righteous. Because my enemies are coming for me. They lie in wait. They're watching for him. Waiting for any chance to act. The intentions of the righteous is, of the unrighteous is to bring the, the righteous down.
And then David turns to those who oppose him. And he says this, there is nothing reliable in their mouth. In other words, everything that they say cannot be trusted. There is nothing in what they say that is good. They lack truthfulness. Nothing they say is firm or settled. It cannot be counted or trusted. He says their inward part is a destruction itself. In other words, he's saying here, in their hearts, they have a plan in their inward part to destroy the righteous. One way or the other, no matter what they say, they are coming to destroy them. He says their throat is an open grave, speaking of of their mouth as they speak, their speech. It's like an open grave. It It leads to death. It ruins lives. It's as if the grave is open and people are falling into the open grave. It speaks of the swiftness of the destruction, the efficiency of the battle. He says they are coming and they flatter with their tongue. In other words, when they come to destroy, when they come to to, to bring destruction, they don't do it in a way that is open, but they flatter. They make it seem like what they're saying is actually good for you, and yet they're bringing you down. They're smoothing over and concealing their true motives. They are lying. There's a sense in which they come with a false impression of trustworthiness and truthfulness. But actually, the unfolding event, the true intent is revealed that they are malicious and trying to bring you down. And so David cries for divine guidance to avoid the snares of such crafty and dangerous enemies. Then he says in verse 10, Hold them guilty, O Lord, for their own devices. Hold them guilty. Hold them accountable. Don't let them go. Don't forget their guilt, O God. Keep them unforgiven is the idea. They are held guilty because they are guilty by their own devices, by the things that they have done, by the fact that they are are deceiving by the fact that they are, are, are destructive, the fact that they are lying, the fact that they bring false accusations, the fact that they come after the righteous. He says, hold them guilty by their own devices. Let them fall. Let, let, them, let their own devices, actually the, their own deceit, their own lies, help that bring down their own demise. In the multitude of their transgression, thrust them out. Even before, even before their demise, thrust them out. Keep them away from you. Make them outcasts, rejected, neglected. Put them, put them out from the assembly. This is not a prayer of revenge against his foes. David's spirit rose higher than that. And he says, I want them to do this. Why? For they are rebellious, what? Against you. David here is not saying, Lord, they are wrecking my reputation. They are coming after me. This is not fair. This is not right. 
David is saying, listen, I'm your anointed, I am your child, and guess what? They, when they come after me, they are coming after who? You. They're coming after God. And so David says, my concern here is what? Primarily not my reputation, but your reputation, Lord. They are rebellious against you. And an attack on me is an attack on what? God. And you must recognize that if you are a believer and when you are attacked, people are attacking you not just because of you, not just because of your bad personality, but partially because what? Because you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they hated him, they will what? They will hate you. And so David says, Lord, do not let sin go. Don't let, your set, don't let justice be set aside. Ultimately punish them because they are in rebellion against you. And if they continue in rebellion against you, you must for your name's sake punish them. So David, as he prays, even in the midst of this trouble, he turns to God and says, Lord, correct me. Correct me first. Make sure that I'm in right standing with you through this circumstance. And then correct those who are opposed to you. Don't let them go. Punish them for their rebellion against you. David has a high view of God. He has a high view of sin. He recognizes how reprehensible it is to God. And so he cries out that God would correct and punish those who are in rebellion to him. Again, I would say that David here is is not particularly picking out a particular name and saying, you know, Bill's the one who causes me trouble, Lord. Bring him down, right? But he is praying in a general sense against evil. Remember, David is king of Israel. He knows that Israel, that he is God's chosen man and that whatever takes place here, what, whoever persecutes those who are God's and in God's favor are against God. So David isn't saying pick your favorite person who's persecuting you or the person you don't like and pray that God will come down on them. But there's a general call here to abhor evil, to hate evil, and to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then David, as he ends this prayer, he gives a petition for praise. He gives us this joyful invitation for Yahweh's cover. He says this, as he closes his prayer, and and maybe in triumphantly, after appealing to God humbly for his care, after recognizing God's character, that he is a God who answers prayer and, and despises sin, After a call for that correction, he now gives an invitation to come and rejoice in Yahweh. He says, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. And now he goes from from speaking particularly of himself to the broader audience. He says, let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them sing for joy and may you shelter them that those who love your name may exalt in you. 
And so he calls for this joy in the Lord, for those who take refuge in him, those who are come to him for protection, those who are his, those who, who love his name, those who have God's loving kindness upon them. He says, be glad. Let, the, let them ever sing for joy. May there be a joy in their heart. May there be a peace in their soul. May they ha- see that life is, is, is good because God is in control. May there be a contentment of soul that, tho- that those who love your name might exalt in you. Let them, let them make much of you. It is because they know God's character that they can now what? Exalt in him. He says in verse 12, here's the reason. For you, it is you who blesses the righteous man, Yahweh. It is God who puts his favor on the righteous man. The reason that we can rejoice and have joy is because the Lord is the one who brings his favor. He says, you surround him with favor as a shield. In other words, your blessings and your care surround him like a shield. There were several different words for the word shield. There's the little shield that you use while you are in battle. This is the big shield that covers the whole body so that when the arrows come or they throw oil or fire that you can cover yourself. And he says, God's favor surrounds you like a shield. It's like you could lay down underneath it and let the arrows come and nothing would ever touch you. And he says, the reason that you can be joyful even in this trial is you know that God is your ultimate protection. He will keep you from ultimate harm. Ultimately, the designs of the wicked deceivers will not turn and have victory over God's people. It doesn't matter what people say about us. If we are wrapped up in the providential care of God, nothing can harm us ultimately. God's favor will always be with us. We never have to worry about protection. God will ultimately restore our reputation. God will ultimately straighten out the lies that are told. He will ultimately restore our character that has been assassinated. It may not be on this earth, but we do know that ultimately God will judge all things and those scales of justice will be put into place. And so we too can be like David and we can rest in God's protection, knowing that his favor is upon us, that he is the one who will protect us until we die from all the accusations, from all of the problems, and that we will leave it in his hands ultimately to protect us. And because he is this way, we can sing with joy. We can be glad. And even in the times where people are coming after us and our character is under attack, we can have the joy of the Lord because we know that ultimately we don't have to go out and fix it. 
God will do that for us. And so David lays out this prayer for us this morning. He gives us a way that we can pray. We can humbly appeal. When, the, when trouble comes, we can humbly appeal for Yahweh to, to take care of us. He is our God. He takes care of us. We, we, again, as we see these troubles, we recognize Yahweh's character, that he is against sin and he is, we stand in his righteousness and therefore he in his favor. We want to make sure that we are standing in, in, and living in a way that is correct and ultimately petition that God's will would be done and that his name would be vindicated. And then let us live in joy, knowing that God is our protector. We don't have to, be, to fix everything. He will surround us with his favor. He will keep us safe. He will vindicate us. And therefore, we can rejoice in our God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. And again, we are reminded of our need to turn to you in trouble. And we are so reminded again of who you are this morning. You are Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, who has set your love upon us. And as we turn to, uh, turn to you we are assured that you will hear our prayer, that you will answer them, not because we are good, not because we are special, but because of your covenant love that you have put upon us, because you are a king and our God. And so I pray this morning that we would again turn to you and pray like David when these troubles come and that we might live in the joy of the Lord in every situation, I pray. In your name, amen.